Welcome to The Pieces Thesis, a bi-monthly podcast where we annotate a musical work of art to engage with its thesis how it was intended to be. I'm your host, Uncle Sam. Welcome back to the first season of The Pieces Thesis. I am, again, so incredibly excited to be doing this. It's something that I've been kind of been really excited to do and something that I've been wanting to start for an incredibly long time. I have been thinking about podcasting for at least a couple years, so it's, it's really good to finally be in a place where I can do this. Just a reminder, we do have notes for each episode that are available on the uh, family Google Drive. So if you want to follow along as we go through, or if you want to do your own additional research on your own time, all of those resources will be available to you guys on my website, UncleSell.com. So just head over that way and let me know your thoughts, because I would love to hear what you're thinking about those resources and how we can make them even better for you guys. Let's actually just unpack a little bit the overarching theme of this season, the things we yearn for. So we are talking about the different ways in which people yearn for the things that they don't actually have present with them, the things that we wish we had, the moments that we want to cherish and hold dear, the people that we want to do the same with. There's that that longing for the essence of someone just being present with you. Um, or an experience that you wish would happen or would have happened. That's kind of what we're talking about. And so for this episode, we will be going through Coffee by Tori Kelly. Victoria Lauren Murillo, now, born in 1992, is a West Coast native turned Grammy award-winning songwriter, vocalist, and pop recording artist. Now married to Andre Murillo as of 2018, Tori began her entrance into the mainstream spotlight with titles like Nobody Love, Dear No One, Paper Hearts, and Should Have Been Us. Today's piece of art is from her third studio album, Inspired by True Events, which was a follow-up album released on August 9, 2018, after her hiatus-breaking gospel project. Both were released through her current label, Capitol Records, and showcased a return to the songwriting style reflective of her earliest pieces from Handmade Songs and Forward. Coffee was written by a songwriting team comprised of Nate Campany, Noel Zancanella, I hope I'm saying their last name right, Taylor Parks, and Kelly. I personally have unknowingly been a Tori Kelly fan for quite some time. My sister showed me some of her old YouTube videos when I was actually still in high school, but it wasn't until um, I was in college that I really started to take a liking to her discography. And once I started to really dive into her artistry, I recognized her as that same vocalist from way back when. So it was mostly just her consistency and wowing me that really sealed the deal for me to become a lifelong fan. This beautifully written song is a perfect example of how to communicate a desire for someone's essence. It's an intimate yearning for the presence of someone who you deeply love and the human emotions that come with that desire for time spent with someone who is always just ever so slightly out of reach. So let's just unpack this thesis and discover how the writers articulated this sentiment. So like we said last time, it is incredibly important for us to 
discuss what was happening from the artist's perspective around the time that they were writing the piece that we analyze. We need to understand what was going on in their world, what kinds of things were affecting their mentality, um, what was going on in their personal and professional lives, what kinds of highs and lows were they going through, and everything in between. Because of those experiences that they have, we now have this piece of art that they birthed. As we mentioned before, Inspired by True Events came about on the heels of her spontaneous side project, Hiding Place, which was an eight-track album co-written and produced by gospel legend Kirk Franklin. Her third studio album surfaced during an incredibly tumultuous time of her life that was filled with intense highs and lows, the marriage of herself to her husband, Andre, and also, unfortunately, the divorce of her parents and the loss of her grandfather. On a positive side, there was a very critical acceptance of The Hiding Place that landed her a plethora of awards. Tori stated during an interview with Build London while talking about the album that the last couple years, and this is a quote, the last couple years have been kind of a roller coaster. It's been a while since I even put out my first album in 2015. So from then until now, I've definitely grown up quite a bit. I have a lot more things to say. A lot of things have happened in my life. And with all of that comes a lot of emotions. And I didn't know where else to put those emotions besides in my music. All of this was happening coming right off of the heels of her last album. She had a lot of, of supporters that really just came and really honestly stand her. <laughs> um, they, they really just, you know, vibe with her and they really are here for her success. And so I can imagine that she has a lot of the pressure that a lot of people have when they're considering their second album. There's a lot of stigma surrounding that second, second album as a pop artist or even really as a contemporary artist in general. Um, we see this happening with so many different people where their first album is really, really impressive and it really gives us a, a, a little bit of insight into who they are as a creative, as an artist, as a musician, as a vocalist. And we get to their second album and they're trying to match that same kind of critical acclaim and commercial success that they lose a lot of the personality and the traits that we that we ended up loving about them from their first album. And so I could 100% see that being um, a concern for Tori as she starts writing for the second album. Also, something that we can kind of take note of, during their engagement, Tori and Andre spent quite a lot of time apart, specifically even before that while they were dating. She was touring to promote the release of her second album, and she had a lot of opportunities for voice acting with Sing and everything that kind of came from that with a lot of collaborations with Disney. And Andre was, you know, doing a lot of different um, games across um, Germany and spending a lot of time there. And so they spent a lot of their dating life and part of their engagement pretty much apart. A direct statement from Kelly about the lyrics for Coffee on Genius.com, she stated, this song for me is about missing my now husband at the time we were dating. And it was hard because he was all the way in Germany and I was just traveling everywhere. And so it got really tough at times. Even performing the song live, it's like I do kind of go back into that mode of like, wow, we were legit long distance. This is wild. And we didn't know when the next time would be that we were going to see each other. We didn't have any plans sometimes, and so it would just be like, okay, bye. And then we have no idea of when the next time we were going to see each other. So during this time of engagement, Tori would have also been dealing with the separation of her parents and the death of her grandfather, two majorly negative, impactful events in one's life that honestly anyone would deeply want 
to have that that person to be close and intimate with. Um, and just to process through those emotions and the pain and the confusion and the questions that come with very traumatic life experiences. It's realistic that these conflicting emotions would lead her to be understanding of the situation, but also deeply desire that specific someone to be present in a moment of intense joy or intense sorrow. And I think that that's part of the sentiment that births the song that we're going to be annotating today. And the lyrics are a gold mine into how the songwriting team sculpted a snapshot in time of the Marillo's engagement in dating. So if you have not listened to this song, go listen to it now. Pause this. I'm not going anywhere. Just come back to it. Go listen to the song. Come back. And so you'll have a full scope and a, and a really rich understanding of some of the things that we're going to be talking about and how they actually work in the context of the song as a whole. Let's talk about this thesis. What's the point of this song and how does it fit into the album as a whole? Hey. So earlier we discussed how this song is an attempt to deal with the difficulties of a long distance relationship and the struggles of technically having someone who is available to share in life's high and low moments, but is just currently out of reach. Tori may mention during multiple interviews that we've kind of touched on a little bit, that the months and years leading up to the release of Inspired by True Events was adorned with important memories of success, just as much as it was plagued by dark traumatic events. We should also make a quick note of the structure of the album as a whole. A major thematic element of this album is that I mean, well, it's thematic. (laughs) If you actually take a listen to the album as a whole, just front to back, you have a lot of moments where it feels theatrical. It almost has a a, like a thespian aura surrounding it. You hear like the rule, the role of a camera reel. Even as we'll talk about in this song, you hear the entrance of coffee starting off the album, and it's this whole grand, very um, almost like kingly herald to to announce something very, very important. You get all these kind of major moments in this album that really give it this kind of theatrical feel. And I think that it's that same atmosphere that is supposed to seat us, the listener, into a seat. Over the 18-track narrative, we quite literally experience a story filled with triumph and failure, hope and despair, heroes, villains, damsels in distress, and Prince Charmings. A story literally about the life and times of Tori Kelly. And like we said, the opening moments of this album put us in this in a space where we can notice, okay, this is supposed to be, you know, a big moment. With Inspired by True Events, we get this kind of grandiose herald to open up the album. And it starts talking about one of the major themes of the album as a whole, which is just emotional intimacy. And and this is this is a little bit where I start to have <laughs> a little problem with the studio version of this song. I love this piece, which is why we're doing it. I I 100% think this is a genius song. But my issue is that I think the studio version kind of pulls away from some of the major moments of genius that happen in this song. At moments, it sounds too produced for my taste and in the context of what's happening in the lyrics. It doesn't accurately reflect the sentiments of the lyricism found in this piece's verses and chorus. I personally feel that the unofficial live version of this piece, as it was originally performed at the Roxy in December of 2017, I believe, um, I believe that honestly is one of the only ways to really do this song justice. Just one voice and one guitar. 
no click. Well, she had a click going because you can tell in the way she's playing. But no harmonies, no additional elements to kind of support her. Even as like we see her perform the song now with Mateus, it, it still doesn't have that intimate feel as much as it could and that rawness that it had the moment that she first performed it at the Roxy. Really only the melodic support of a single guitar that just accompanies the vulnerable voice speaking delicate words directly from their heart. I think that, in my opinion, would have more accurately conveyed the deep-seated desire of connectivity that Tori was experiencing from her then-fiancé. But, you know, the reality is that the decision to pair the original idea of this song with the additional elements that were found in the studio version of the track um, was one that was made in hopes of making it more commercially successful, which is not a bad thing at all. That's not an inherently bad thing. People should be out here securing the bag. I'm not mad at Tori for doing this um, with this song because the reality is that the choices that they made melodically and harmonically to add different elements and different instruments to support what was happening in the song, it actually works. And I think it's a really good thing. But just from a academic compositional standpoint, it takes away from what the lyrics are talking about and how we can articulate our thoughts and our ideas and our emotions through music. Um, because this song is very, very, it's very raw. It's very intimate. And I think having just a single voice and a single guitar would have done that more justice. Again, just my opinion. And again, she already secured this bag with the song. So, I mean, my opinion really doesn't matter, <laughs> but that's just, you know, my own perspective. So if you want to hear actually that version of it, I do, again, have that video linked in the resources. So go ahead over to my website, check it out, and we can talk about it. Let's actually unpack a little bit of the musical analysis with this song. So we have her key signature. She's in the key. Of, and I went back and forth about this for, for just kind of a quick little note. I could not decide for a little bit what key this song was in because of one of the, the topics that we're going to touch on, modal interchange. There's a lot of this happening. And she. this is honestly, actually, now that I'm thinking about it and talking this out out loud instead of just writing it down for my notes, Modal interchange is really a signature songwriting point of contact with Tori Kelly. That is like something that she does regularly. If we kind of what we mentioned, if we go back to her EPs like Forward, we hear actually a lot of modal interchange. We see her kind of returning to that now that she's released um, three albums under Capitol and she's going into um, like the EP that she released, uh, I think sometime last year, or this year, Solitude, kind of reflecting over the times of quarantine and with the pandemic going on. We hear a lot of modal interchange happening in her songwriting. That's kind of like just just like a staple in who she is as a writer. But because of that, I kind of had to think a little bit more critically about what key signature this song was in. But I'm like, very, very sure with my <laughs> with my uh, educated guess, I think that this is in C-sharp minor. My composition teachers would be yelling at me right now <laughs> because there isn't a solid leading tone to indicate that we're in minor. But in the context of contemporary music, specifically in pop, we don't really have those kinds of elements. So I say that this is in C-sharp minor, just my guess. And with that, we can kind of look at the chord progression of the song being a minor one going to a major seven, then going to a major four, which is very interesting. Again, modal interchange, we'll talk about this. We also have a secondary chord progression happening. Right around, I think it's in the pre-chorus and in the bridge at the end, we have a major six going to a major seven, going to a four major, all major. We only get one minor chord in this song, which is why I had to kind of battle back and forth about is this in a minor key. We only have the one 
being minor. It's the only minor chord we have. Everything else is major. We have some additions like your add twos, your add fours, those kind of nice little touches to kind of give it a little bit of uh, harmonic color and a little richness to whatever is being played. And with Tori being kind of more of a guitar-based songwriter, there isn't as many colors that we utilize on guitar as much as we do with piano. The reason being is because you have a lot more fingers <laughs> to use on piano in contrast to how many you have for guitar. So like we said before, there's a lot of modal interchange with this piece. And I just kind of want to unpack real quick what modal interchange is so that we're all on the same page, that we all understand what we're talking about when we use that term, and that nothing is lost in translation. Because I know that not everyone has a musical background. Some people might just be listening to this out of just pure enjoyment of music, and you don't need to, you shouldn't need to understand <laughs> level four harmony just to appreciate what's happening in this song. So modal interchange is a beautiful phenomenon that happens whenever we combine or borrow chords and chord colors from multiple different key signatures. For instance, if we're in a major key, say we're in the key of A, we have our order of major chord, minor chord, minor chord, major chord, major chord, minor chord, and then a diminished right at the end. However, if we were to actually play in the key of A minor, we would start with a minor chord and then immediately go to a diminished chord. There's a little bit of difference in between the one chord of A major and the one chord of A minor. One's major, one's minor, respectively. Same thing goes for two. One is minor, one's diminished. If we keep going, we actually see a correlation where each number in the scalar pattern, they each have their own color. Whereas if we start to pull and rearrange them from one major to the minor or vice versa, we actually can start to see an, an interesting color happening. For instance, if we're playing in the key of A major and we wanna play a four chord, but we wanna pull in that minor four from its minor scale, we actually get a really interesting color happening when we use that. Um, because the minor four is not native to the A major scale. It just, it just doesn't happen. That's not the way our Western music is structured. So when we experience any kind of shifting where we should have a major chord and we're suddenly hearing a minor chord, that's what we're talking about when we say modal interchange. So in this song, we are experiencing, like we talked about, we're in the key of C sharp minor. We should be hearing a lot different chords <laughs> than what we are, right? We have this major four, which is not native to the minor scale. We do not have a major, uh, a major chord, a major four specifically in our minor scale, but we do in this song. We also are experiencing a major seven. First and foremost, our sevens are usually never major. <laughs> that is a very, very rare phenomenon that we hear that. And even more so, this one being a flat, technically a flat major seven. That is not normal. <laughs> even just having that roll off your tongue is not normal. <laughs> The chords that they're pulling from to write this song help us be cognizant of both a major and a minor tonality. This is important. Just kind of how we talked about last episode with the juxtaposition of your storm clouds and the clouds clearing away and that relationship between your minor three chord and your one chord. The modal interchange happening in this song is actually looking forward to both the highs and the lows that we will be experiencing throughout the album. This is the opening track to the entire album. Again, this is this technically was supposed to be the album that 
broke her hiatus from her first album. This this was supposed to be her second album. The reality was that she went to write a gospel, a single gospel song with Kirk Franklin, and it turned into an album. This modal interchange again is looking at what's going to be happening throughout the rest of the album. This 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 song as a whole is looking forward to what's going to be happening throughout the rest of the album. And it's very, very important that we understand the context of modal interchange and how it's giving us both major and minor tonality, which is, again, reflective of high moments and low moments. We're getting both sides of that. Like we did last time, I also kind of want to emphasize, as a songwriter, when you're writing lyrics, they should always be poetic regardless of if you have a particular cadence and a delivery that goes with your lyrics. Like if you are a hip-hop artist, if you have a specific way that you want to flow, or if you're a vocalist and you have like your harmony that's also helping to enrich the experience for your listener, 100% your lyrics should be poetry before we hear anything else. If we didn't have the ability to hear, like if we were deaf or if we were impaired by any means, we should still be able to appreciate your art just from reading through what you're writing because it, it should it is art. So I just want to read through what is being stated in this song real quick. I want to I want to kind of do this with this piece because I think it helps to solidify this idea that your lyrics are art. I envy the cup of coffee that kisses you every morning, that pillow caressing your cheek when you're tired and yawning. I'm jealous of the steering wheel you wrap your hands around. That seatbelt on your chest, hearing your heart holding you down. I envy the cup of coffee that kisses you every morning. Ooh, I would jump over the edge for you to get to you. Ooh, I'd walk an ocean just to get to you, next to you. It's unfair, because I'm missing you way too much. I'm missing you, missing you way too much. And I'm wishing you were right here because I'm missing you way, way, way too much. And I know that it's so silly of me to be jealous of all these stupid things, but I am missing you. I'm missing you way too much. I'm missing you way, 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 way too much. And it's unfair. Am I crazy to want to hold you like the clothes on your body? I would, I would trade places with the air that brushes by you so softly. I would jump over the edge for you to get to you. And I, I would walk an ocean just to get to you, next to you. And it's unfair because I'm missing you like way too much. I'm missing you way, 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 way too much. And I'm wishing that you were right here because I'm missing you way too much. And I know that it's silly of me to be jealous of all these stupid things, but I'm missing you. I am missing you way too much. I'm missing you way too much, and it's unfair. It's unfair that you got the things I need, but they're always out of reach, that I always have to dream to get you next to me. Because even the stars that shine get to see you at night, and it all reminds me of you, and maybe that's the reason why I'm always missing you way too much. Okay, so even just in reading the lyrics, you can hear how this song, it, it sounds like a conversation. This, this literally sounds like a phone call. <laughs> like if we could have tapped into a phone call that happened in between Tori and Andre, I feel like this is basically what we would have heard. What we just, how we just spoke the lyrics out, this is basically what happened. 
Um, so again, I think it's incredibly important whenever you're writing your lyrics for them to be to be poetic and to to carry the weight of the song on their own. Let's kind of go through these lyrics. From the very top of the song, we get this intro. And again, like we said before, this is the piece that is opening what was supposed to be the second album. This is, a again, a reflection of what we should be experiencing or what we should be uh, anticipating throughout the rest of the album. We get this, this intro of just the voices, and we have a little rendition of it um, that we'll play here. And so again, we talked about it before, this modal interchange that's present in the opening moments of this album, I think look forward to both the highs and the lows that we will experience throughout it and everything that's happening in between. It's, it's, it's showcasing the happy and sad mental spaces, which is honestly a dialogue that we experience even on the song Two Places, if you go listen to that song. And so we get this modal interchange kind of vocal flourish happening right at the, at the start of this album to really put us in that mindset. One of the most beautiful things about this song is its use of personification. Tori projects a lot of her feelings of, of what she wished would be the, the reality that she lives in onto the inanimate objects that her now husband, Andre, utilizes on a regular basis. So just the opening line of the song, I envy the cup of coffee that kisses you every morning. It's so striking because we're getting this moment where she's being vulnerable about what she's feeling. She's, she feels envy, but we we notice that she's saying that she's envious of an inanimate object. How are you envying something that isn't alive, <laughs> right? So she's projecting her feelings. She's talking about, I wish that I was that same cup of coffee. We get again, that pillow caressing your cheek when you're tired and yawning. The pillow is not alive. <laughs> Earth to Tori is not alive. But we know this, and she knows this. This is, again, an incredible moment of personification genius that she's using to hash out and articulate her feelings and her emotions. She's saying, okay, I'm sick and tired of this. <laughs> I ain't trying to do this no more. I'm tired of there literally being an ocean between us. I want to wake up with you. I want to be in your arms. I want to feel the physical warmth of you once I wake up. I want to feel that exact same thing when I'm going to bed. I'm tired. <laughs> so this is an incredible moment, incredible moment of her articulating what she's feeling and also doing it in a very artistic way. So we get the next couple lines. I'm jealous of the steering wheel you wrap your hands around. This, that seatbelt on your chest, hearing your heart holding you down. This last little bit, let's talk about it. The denotation of a seatbelt is literally that it physically holds us in a place of safety while we ride in a car. That's what a seatbelt is. <laughs> but the connotation of the phrase, what she's actually saying here, Hearing your heart holding you down. It reflects over Tori's desire to not only be physically there when they transit to different places together as a unit, as a married unit, but it's also talking about her desiring to be an emotional support system for the person that she loves. That phrase is often used as, as a point of connection in between two people in a relationship. That I, if I'm that person that holds you down, that means that I'm here for you. Like, I'm down. Like, I don't care what happens. We're going to find a way to continue moving forward together. Um, I'm here for you and nothing will change that. And so her speaking that, yes, the, con the denotation of this phrase is that a seatbelt is physically holding him <laughs> so he will be safe. But the connotation is, no, I, I'm here for you. I want to be emotionally present. 
we get this restatement of the first line, which is not normally something that you see in a song, right? You don't ever repeat something verbatim. But the fact that she does so here is important because it's a restatement of that opening line and driving home a sense of sincerity that I want to make sure that you know what I'm talking about in this song. (laughs) I don't want there to be no questions. I want you to be lost. I want to make sure we're on the same page. It's sort of like if I don't, like for me, I'm a teacher. So I sometimes have to repeat myself for some of my students because I know that they didn't hear me. And so I'm repeating myself over and over again because I want to make sure that they heard me the first time because I'm a teacher. And so sometimes I have to make sure that I repeat exactly what I just said so that even though I know that they didn't hear me, um, I have to be cognizant of the fact that I need to repeat myself over and over again to make sure that they heard what I said because I'm a teacher and I know that my students may not be listening, so I have to repeat myself. Do you kind of get the the point? (laughs) When you restate something, either if you do it verbatim or if you do it in a different way each time, you're driving a point home. You're making sure that your point is clear, that everyone's on the same page, and that everything is, nothing is lost in translation. So we get into this pre-chorus. So she do this crazy run, this uh, real light <laughs> on this ooh vowel. <laughs> the first time we hear this this ooh run right in the pre-chorus, that uh, where is it? Um, ooh, right. I am not her, <laughs> and so I cannot. I can neither do it as quickly as she does it or as smoothly as she does it. But when she actually does do it, specifically when she does it in a live context, that run is very like breathtaking. <laughs> if you, again, go listen to the song. Make sure that you heard it before you're listening to this podcast. But it's very breathtaking. It's very like, oh wow, like that's. That's like a nice little flourish that's just happening right there. And it's just such an incredible moment. But here's why. The run executed in this moment is a downward haphazard melodic line. It is speaking directly to the next line of jumping over the edge. The melisma that she's using is an auditory example of falling down in hopes of landing near the person that she hopes will emotionally catch her. She's not singing it in a very carried over blended tone. She's not she's not doing uh I will jump over the edge for you. That's not what she's doing. She's doing I will jump over the edge for you. It's very broken up. It's very haphazard. And the reason that she's doing that is because again, it's alluding to the idea of you're jumping over the edge, you're falling down, you're bumping into a couple different things while you're falling. Everything's kind of chaotic. But that's that's the point. That's you know, I'm I'm willing to undergo the danger of what this might of what this jump may mean, just so I can get to you. So it's a very, very smart line, and I really love it. It's, it's beautiful the way that she sings through this because her tone is just immaculate, and I love the way that she is able to lighten her tone to get these crazy fast runs, and it's just, it's just stupid. <laughs> but again, like we talked about before, that's alluding to the downward fall of of hoping that this person will catch you when you jump over the edge for them, when you say, I will die for you, and I hope that you would too. Let's talk a little bit about this chorus. This this is this is partially why. <laughs> this is one of the main reasons as to why I prefer the live version of the song with only one instrument and her voice. The multiple layers of vocals that happen during the chorus is a very smart decision. Hear me when I say I understand what's happening here. <laughs> this is a line in the song that the reality is there's not a lot of space to breathe. The decision to create this this 
amalgamation of all these different voices singing this, I think is a very smart and technical move to make sure that she can breathe when she does this live. But I wish that it wasn't there. I wish the additional voices weren't there. From a compositional standpoint, it sounds like there's multiple people talking. This is, this is something that you guys can kind of take. I'll set this down here for a second because I think I'm going to stay on this point for a little bit. This is, this is a, a point that I think um, you guys can really take into your own songwriting. When you are wanting to create a sense of unity or a sense of community, you can use multiple different voices. You can use, like I told one student before, um, one of the reasons why pop music is honestly super, super genius is that you can use the tool of gang vocals and you can utilize different harmony stacks and you can utilize um, doubles and all these different things that help the listener feel as though they can join in and sing with you as they hear this part, right? So, for instance, um, in this song, we get, uh, I'm missing you way too much. And there's all these different voices that are singing along with that, right? Yes, it's helping to make it sound full. It's helping it to, to create a space where she can breathe in the middle of all these different phrases. But it sounds like there's multiple people. It sounds like there are multiple people saying this from a compositional standpoint, again, because when you have multiple voices saying the same thing, it sounds like a gang. It sounds like gang vocals. It sounds like a group. And that's supposed to be the moments where we as a listener join in. That's why choruses, if you if you kind of dive a little bit into some of the choruses, specifically in pop music, it happens in other genres too, but specifically in pop music, when we get to the chorus, we get either a lot of gang vocals, we get a lot of harmonies, or we get a lot of doubles. Because this is the moment where we want the listener to memorize what's happening so that they can join in on the next one. So y'all can be ready when it comes back around. Y'all already know what to say. You already know when to say it. You already know how to say it, right? We're trying to get you to, to join in. We're trying to get you to join what's happening in this song. And so to have these multiple voices happening in this chorus, again, is a smart move, but I wish that it wasn't there. Because again, this is a very, very emotionally intimate song. And so the first time that we get such a raw, um, such a raw statement, like, I miss you way too much. Not even just the fact that she's saying, I miss you in general. She's saying, no, I know how much I miss you. And it's bad. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very vulnerable thing to say to someone. And so to have multiple people saying it at the same time, that's where I have an issue with it. Not, not in the issue of like, I hate this song. It is trash. No, it's just compositionally academic, academically thinking about it. It's just like, oh man, I wish you could have found a different way to do this because it would, it would have helped to solidify some of the statements that are being made in this song. It just takes away from the moment a little bit for me. And I wish that there could have been a way to circumvent the need for a breath without needing to add in additional voices. That's my only issue. So we get to the middle point of this chorus. And we get Tori's remark. And I know that it's so silly of me to be jealous of all these stupid things. The remark here of this chorus is the counterpart to the hyperbole of her envying the inanimate objects listed throughout the rest of the song. And it also is a counterpoint to um, her line, um, I would jump over the edge for you, which is sometimes spoken to reflect the idea like I would die for you. It has like a suicidal undertone to it, which I don't think is, is, is what she's trying to say. I don't think she's saying that because of this relationship, she's suicidal. That's not what, it, what she's talking about. <laughs> um, but she, it has those connotations, what we usually say it for. This line right here in the middle of the chorus is kind of the counterpoint to the hyperbole happening throughout the rest of the song. 
When we get to, I would trade places with the air that rushes by you so softly. Oh, this is such a line. It is such a good line. And the reason being is because not only is it lyrically genius, again, because she's tying in all these different things of hyperbole and personification and all these different, you know, literary devices, but the vocal delivery happening here, she is creating such a beautiful vision of what it would be like if air was rushing by us, the listener. It's kind of like if you ever are at a theater um, or if you if you ever go to see a show, well, I mean, we're in COVID, so I don't know when you're going to be seeing a show, but <laughs> whenever we used to go to shows, um, and we would have moments where the cast is trying to articulate what's happening in the character's reality, and they create these these kind of like fourth wall breaks where we might get something sonic, like if there's a thunderstorm going on and they shake like the metal sheet, or if there is like a gunshot and someone gets shot and they actually have like the sound of a gunshot happening in the crowd. Those are those kind of moments where they're trying to help you, help pull you into the reality of what the characters are experiencing. And this is kind of something that I think she's doing in the middle of this song where she's trying to articulate, this is what it would be like if air were to rush by him. And I wish that I was that air. <laughs> I wish that I was that little breath of, of freshness happening. And it's super genius, it's so good. So we get to this bridge, right? And we're starting to have this chord progression that comes in during the pre-chorus return. And it's something that I wanna to touch on real quick because I think it's really, really interesting as to how it's being used here in this moment. It creates a sense of hope and almost an uplifting feeling, but it is very, very unconventional and it takes the listener on an unexpected journey. So again, modal interchange is what's happening. Um, but it's, it's this collision in between the two worlds of this happiness is happening in Tori's life and the sad events that are also plaguing her life. Um, and we're seeing the collision of these two worlds and we're wondering where are we going to go next? What's going to happen next? Is it going to be something good? Is it going to be something bad? What's, what's going on? And so similar to the questions that Tori has and the statements that she's making that, you know, I, 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 I know that you have the things that I need. I know that you're also out of reach. And I know that the only way I really get to see you is when I dream, like all these different things that she's just like, man, like it just sucks. These moments of questioning harmonically, I think also reflect the questions that she had while her and Andre were just apart, where there wasn't really any moment for them to really know when the next time it was that they were going to see each other. Like we heard from her quote earlier, they just didn't know like when the next time that I would see you, there was, there's no plan. Like, I don't know. I don't know when I get to see you next. And so I think some of the harmonic moments that are happening here are reflective of that. But it's really in this bridge that we start to see a lot of her background vocals come to life. And the cool thing is that the background vocals actually emphasize this. And we see this moment where they're lifting, they're lifting, they're lifting, and then they get to this end and it feels like we should get to this, this kind of really grand ending and then it kind of goes right back into your chorus. We have those moments all throughout the album where we're expecting this, this positive thing. And because of the modal interchange that is just indicative of Tori's songwriting, we have these moments where we're, we think we're headed one way and then we're suddenly headed in a different direction. And it, it takes us on an emotional journey where we, where again, we're expecting to go 
major, major, major. We're expecting to go to the sense of tonality and home. And then we suddenly end up in this place where we're like, I'm not really sure how we got here. How does this even work <laughs> in the context of the rest of the song? When we get to the outro, her background vocals are belting and it sends me. <laughs> it literally sends me. She has this E5 that she's like singing out and it turns this major four chord into a four seven. And it's so nice, it's so rich. And the reason that that's important is because that four seven is not just a regular four seven, like how kind of how we heard in the context of uh, Cool People, where it kind of makes it a little bit rich. This specific seven with this, like, it's a little bit lower than the one that we heard in Cool People. This is actually creating a sense, a lot of tension, right? And it's making us have this kind of yearning to go back to home that we always talk about. One is home. When we hear this four seven, it's not leading us to the one of this song is actually a secondary dominant. What we could label this this chord that she's kind of spelling out with her voice and with the accompaniment could be a 5-7 of flat seven. And the reason that that's so important is because it actually is leading us into the key of the next song. I think the next actual song we hear is Change Your Mind, yeah. And that song is in the key of G sharp minor. G sharp minor is the relative minor of B major, which is what that flat seven will be in this key. It's so good. She's getting our ears to kind of slowly make that adjustment. We're changing topics. And it's so good because, again, we're at this point in the song where we're closing it out. We're actually kind of finished with the main points and ideas that she wants to make in this piece. And we're leading into the rest of the album. Right after this, we have a short little interlude that's a recording of, I believe, her father and her mother um, talking about Tori when she was, I think, freshly born. I'm pretty sure that's what the clip is for, um, if I remember that correctly. I should have I should have put a note of that in my notes. <laughs> but we get we get uh, this sense of like. She understands the, her father's love for her. She knows um, her father's own words. She knows that her daddy loves her, right? And so we're we're starting to lean out of this relational, this this intimate, um, uh, romantic relationship, and more gearing into the context of a more father daughter relationship, or something that's kind of um, a little bit more in contrast to what we what we've been talking about in this song. And so to do that, she does something really, really smart. As she's adding in her background vocals, they actually start to lean into the next song, funny enough. So what are the implications of this song's thesis? What is she trying to say and what does that mean for us as a listener? This yearning for emotional intimacy for someone who is ever so slightly out of reach, that is something that I think a lot of us can relate to. Especially, I don't, she of course had no foreknowledge of the pandemic happening, <laughs> but I think a lot of us now that we're in the space of we aren't as physically connected, um, um, we're not as physically close as we used to be with some people that we love dearly, I think that we're learning that. For our singles, <laughs> people who don't have someone romantically that we can kind of lean on in that way, um, I think we're learning how much more important it is for us to have community and for us to be able to inhabit those spaces where we can be emotionally needy and just take up that space with our own um, fears, our own worries, and the things that we just need to kind of unpack and let other people help us through. And I think that is something that God honestly really wants for us. I think first and foremost, he wants to be that person for 
us to bounce our ideas off of, to really unpack a lot of our trauma and the things that we are just now coming to the knowledge of how it's kind of damaged us. I think he wants to be the first person that we go to. But I think the beauty of what the gospel does is that it actually invites us in, into a place, not only into relationship with God, but also with other people. And that we can now have a real sense of community with other people where there used to only be enmity. Um, and so I think part of this song, yes, is definitely talking about just having that romantic person that can be there for you in life's high and low moments that she kind of touches on throughout the rest of the album. I think it also, like we said, touches on God's desire for us to have community and to be connected with other people, um, that we're not designed to just be an island, but that we're actually supposed to be um, in deep, real fellowship with others. So that's pretty much this episode. That's all I have for you guys. Our next episode will be over Is It a Crime by Sade. I am super excited for this one because her voice is just so immaculate. I love a good alto. I <laughs> I love the richness of that lower tone. Y'all be giving me some rasp and I just am here for it. I am, I love it. Again, those resources are available on the Family Google Drive. Just visit my website, UncleSell.com, for all the details. You, sh you should be able to find everything A-OK. -okay. New podcast episodes coming every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you want to share this with anyone, go ahead and send them that link either to Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you listen to, to your podcasts. It will be available to you guys to listen to and discuss and chat about and all the good stuff. New videos coming every single Sunday at 5 p.m. And like always, heal, forgive, love. I'll see you guys soon.